We're so glad you did not let the rain keep you from being here. It's wet outside, it's dry in here, but I hope by the time we leave it's not as dry as we want it to be in a spiritual sense. I remember when I first came to Mount Carmel a year ago, we did a series entitled Preparing for Rain. Preparing for Rain. And it was a six-week sermon series talking about let's prepare for what God wants to do. And over the past 14 months, we've seen God answer those prayers. We've seen God do some of those things that we preached about, we taught about, we learned about, we've listened. But where do we keep on going from here? What do we do? Maybe you're looking over the past year and you say, you know what, I've grown spiritually, but what do I do tomorrow? What do I do the next day? What do I do the next week? And I will tell you that right now in the life of our church, there's probably nothing more important than what I'm about to share with you this morning. And when I say the life of our church, immediately we think this building, we think this ministry, but the church is everyone who's here who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So maybe we could term it this way, or define it this way, the most important thing in your life right now, possibly, in my opinion, is what we're going to talk about this morning. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, I want you to read with me, and I want to talk to you about the most important element of your Christian life for such a time as this. In Luke chapter 10, verse 38, now it happened as they went that he entered a certain village, speaking of Jesus Christ, and a certain woman named Martha welcomed him into her house. And she had a sister called Mary, who also sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. But Martha was distracted with much serving, and she approached him and said, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to serve alone? Therefore tell her to help me. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled about many things, but one thing is needed, and Mary has chosen that good part which will not be taken away from her. Let's pray together. Father God, we come before you right now. We give this passage to you. Lord, we're so thankful for your word. We're asking, Lord, you'd take it, that you would break it apart, that you would speak to us, that our ears would be ready to listen, that our eyes would be ready to see, that our hearts would be ready to receive, and that our wills would be ready to align ourselves with you. For we have not worshiped today, no matter what we've sung, no matter what we've heard, unless we leave here with hearts that are ready to obey. Something you desire far more than our singing and far more than our preaching and far more than our attending church. You want obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice, the Bible tells us. But Lord, for many of us here, we sit here and we say, Lord, I struggle so bad to obey. I struggle so bad to become the person that you want me to be, to do what you want me to do. I've got things that I wrote on my prayer card this morning that I gave to the furnace room that are just unbelievable, enormous burdens. Some of the things that I didn't write on a prayer card this morning that are going on secretly in my life, they hold me back from living the victorious life, I think. What's the answer? How do I grow? How do I move forward? How do I get up tomorrow and love you more, Lord, than sin? Because I'm so prone to leave the God that I love. How do I get up on Tuesday morning and Wednesday morning and walk in joy and victory despite people and circumstances that I could not control? Lord, to answer those questions, we need to hear from you. And so God, I pray, Lord, that right now you would take us to your word and that you would do something impossible in our minds and our hearts and our lives. 
We give this service to you, Lord, as if it was our last service, for we may not be here next Sunday. You could come back. So we long for your appearing. We thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name, amen. This is one of my favorite passages in Scripture. I may have preached on it since I've been here, but there are times where you come back to portions of Scripture that you feel like not only yourself, not only you yourself need, but also your congregation. I will tell you this, and I've watched it happen innumerable times. When God begins to revive a church, when God begins to revive a Christian, when God begins to do special things in your life that cause you to live more victoriously than you've ever lived before, when God begins to answer prayer around you that you've never seen answered, when God seems to do the impossible around you and you stand in awe of Him, you can count on this, attack is on the way. Last week, I watched as a revival team came, and though a team doesn't bring revival, I watched as God revived and refreshed and renewed people's hearts and lives. Through weekly meetings, through the lives of our student body, I attended a Life Center banquet that Saturday night that, in, that just absolutely energized and refreshed my heart because Jesus Christ was preeminent. I came to church on Sunday morning and felt like the same thing happened here. We left encouraged. We focused on Christ. What an encouraging week. I told a dear friend of mine Sunday after church, I said, I will tell you this, I'm not a prophet. I am not all-knowing. There are a lot of people that can teach me many, many, many things, and there's many of you I need to sit at your feet and listen to your wisdom, but I will tell you this because I've watched it happen so many times. It's like clockwork. Satan will be working overtime this week, and he has. There are things I cannot share with you in my life personally that have happened. There are things that I cannot share with you because they're confidential. There's things you can't share with me. Some of you have shared with me this week how circumstances and people have tried to distract you from all that God did last week. And I will tell you that the number one target that Satan has on your life and mine is this. He wants to get you distracted enough to where you... Stop coming to the feet of Jesus. You say, how does revival happen in the first place? It's, remember what we talked about last week? It's when you want more of Jesus, Jesus in you, Jesus through you, Jesus on top of you, Jesus below you. I forget the whole quote. It was just Jesus, 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 Jesus. It's when Jesus consumes your life. And you know what? Nothing consumes your life unless you spend time with it. Unless you make it priority unless you discipline yourself to, be, to spend time with it, and the more you discipline self, the more you fall in love with it, and then you don't have to discipline yourself anymore. It just comes naturally. I will tell you, where you will be spiritually two or three weeks from now will be dependent on whether you've been in the presence of the king or been distracted from being at the throne room. That's the way it's worked in my life for the past 27 years. Unless someone can show me something differently, I would love to know it. But I'm telling you, at any given time where your pastor is spiritually, it's always equivalent to whether or not he's been in the presence of the king. And Satan works overtime to keep me out of the presence of the king, and he does the same thing with you. Monday morning, some of you saw the newspaper this week. It said, students barely escaped the blaze and while we were thankful our students were safe, I, I kind of was hoping the news headline of our nice little relic that you saw in the parking lot this morning, van, I wish it would have been Mount Carmel's on fire because it would have made a much better sermon. <laughs> yes, it is on fire. Come and see what it's all about. 
Monday morning started with a fire, but I want to tell you that van fire out there, that was the least of my problems this week. And as you go back and you think about your life, in fact, I had a student here at school look at me this week, and they say, Pastor Mark, God has done so much in my life in these days. My time with God has become the most exciting part of my day. One of them said, I wish I could just leave school and just go spend time with Jesus. And I, and I don't think that was just an excuse to get out of school. I think they like really meant that. Like if they got home, they literally wanted to do that. And you know what they said preceding those comments? They said, for the past year, I haven't spent any time with Jesus. And that's why I've acted the way I've acted. That's the way, why I've thought the way I've thought. That's why my heart has been in the condition that it's been. That's why my habits have been what they've become. And now is the best time of my day. I have found power when I meet with Jesus. I'm in love with Him again. He's the joy of my life. He's the lover of my And I just want to talk about Him. I remember when Valerie and I first started dating, people could not get me to shut up about Valerie. <laughs> I'd talk about her all the time. I remember our first Valentine's Day together. We were engaged. I think, no, we, we were almost engaged at that point. She came to my house. We had Valentine's Day there. My parents were sitting there, and I'm just, Valerie, 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 Valerie. Valerie would leave, and I'd talk about Valerie. My mom and dad were so sick and tired of hearing about Valerie. I just talk about her all the time, because I just love to be with her. She'd walk, whew, wow. Eight years later, you're driving in the car, you reach over, hold each other's hand, you say, hey, let's stop, your hand's getting sweaty. Now, we haven't backslidden in our love. Our love's just changed to a more mature level. <laughs> our love now says, here, you hand her the bottle, and you go change that diaper. <laughs> I want to tell you, when you're in love with somebody, you talk about them. When you're in love with somebody, you want to spend more time with them. And can I just tell you something? Your Christian life, the success of it or the failure of it will all be based on where we're at this morning. C.S. Lewis, a very famous theologian and philosopher, Christian philosopher, said, and I have this beside my bed. In fact, I pulled it off my dresser and put it here in my Bible. The real problem of the Christian life comes where people do not usually look for it. It comes the very moment you wake up each morning all your wishes and hopes for the day rush at you like wild animals, and the first job each morning consists simply in shoveling them all back, in listening to that other voice, taking that other point of view, he's talking about God, letting that other larger, stronger, quieter life come flowing in, and so on all day, standing back from all your natural fussings and frettings and the things you and you're consumed with, the success of your day is all based around coming in out of the wind. He's saying when you remove yourself from people and circumstances and go to the throne room to be in the presence of Jesus, he's saying that will dictate the success or failure of your day. In Luke chapter 38, we see Jesus, most importantly, indicate the same thing. The Bible says here, as it happened, that Jesus entered a certain village and Martha and Mary and Lazarus were some of his closest friends. And Martha was a busybody. She was a type A personality. She was a list-to-do person. Her list-to-do probably controlled her. 
She was frantic. She was worried. She was me. Martha is me. And she welcomed him into her house. She was so excited to have him there. This is my Messiah. This is my Savior. God in the flesh is coming to my house today. He's brought all these hungry men with him. And I've got to feed them. This is going to be the church potluck of the century. I want Jesus to be impressed with what I do. I want the disciples to talk about my cooking. I'm so glad he's here. Then she had a sister, Mary. She's not type A at all. Mary gets on my nerves. (laughs) She's disorganized. She can't remember where she's going, where she's been, or what she's going to do. Life is one big floating down the river for her. She's calm, she's relaxed, she never worries, and it rubs me wrong. (laughs) Any of you relate to that? Mary knew all the responsibilities, she knew what had to be done. She knew the pressure that Martha was under. She knew that if the meal didn't go just right, the disciples could say, hey, couldn't you have done better for the king? Hey, why aren't we ready? We're on a busy schedule. we got a world to change today. We just stopped by here for a pit stop and a dinner. Why why haven't you got this together? And we find Mary over in the living room, and the Bible says in verse 39, she sat at Jesus' feet and heard his word. You know what I've determined in, how long have I been a Christian? 28 years now because I just had a birthday. 28 years. The biggest battle of my life are not the people I come in contact with. The biggest battle of my life are not the responsibilities that I have. The biggest battles in my life are not financial or not this or not that or my marriage or my children or my job. My biggest battle in life is getting myself to sit down at Jesus' feet and hear His Word. And to Mary, it just seems to come so easily. I'm sure she had responsibilities. She knew what was expected of her. She knew the pressure. I'm sure the house was tense. Anywhere there's a Martha, there's tenseness. I heard my wife laugh louder than other people. (laughs) That wasn't you? Oh, I thought it was you. Uh, Oh, it was Gordy. All right. I'm sure Mary knew all that. But you know what I love about Mary? It didn't matter. She had something that was more important. And she went over and she knelt down at his feet. You know what? Baptists don't kneel. We don't do anything out of the ordinary because... It just messes everybody up. And she got down at his feet, and she just knelt there, and she said, you know what? I know Martha is having a stress fit back in the kitchen. She needs medication, all right? I know that. I know your men are hungry, but I have been waiting for you to get here, and I just want to hear what you got to say. I need what you're going to say more than lunch. I need what you're going to say more than getting my list to do done. I need what you're going to say more than what other people think about me. 
I just want to hear you. I've waited all day for you to get here. I am so glad you're here. Because I was reading in the Old Testament at those times. They, you know, they didn't have the New Testament then. Jesus had just come. New Testament was not happening yet as far as our New Testament scriptures. But Mary knew the Old Testament scriptures and she had read that man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And she had God sitting right here in front of her and she said, I need that. And I don't just need it. I, just don't, I don't want to just use you like my genie in the lamp, Jesus. I just want to worship at your feet. I just want to adore you for who you are. You have saved me. You have come into my life. I could have been walking down this road, but you transformed me. You have given me yourself. I could be on my way to hell if it were not for you. I could be living a wasted life if it were not for you. Without you, I wouldn't even have the strength or the physical capacity or the mental capacity to even do anything today. You're the star breather. You're all these things. You're my counsel. You're the Prince of Peace. You're the God of the storm. You're the one I pray to. You're the one who's going to answer. You're the one I'm trusting in. You're my confidence. And I'd just like to appreciate you for a while about that. All those things. Can I tell you something? We live in such a culture that is so antagonistic towards that right there. You say, are you talking about the world? No, I'm talking about a Christian culture. Because we've determined that you will not be successful unless you get up and go over here and just start going at it. Now, does God call us to get over here and get to work? Absolutely. God tells us in the book of Romans, He said, your Christian labor should be fervent. You should be boiling in the Spirit. You should not be lazy. You should be an example of an excellent work ethic. You should be responsible. You should be full of integrity. You should be a person who gets the job done. And you should do all things in the name of Jesus Christ. A Christian should have a superior work ethic. But I will tell you this. It's got to start here first. Everything that goes on over here has got to flow from that over there. In the book of 1 Peter, it says, for those of you who minister, which all of us are called to ministry, I am so thankful that the ministry of this church does not rest upon me alone. There's days where I try to make it that way, and it's not because I want to, it's because of my lack of wisdom of feeling like, well, it's not going to get done unless I do it, or this, that, and another. Did you know God has called every one of us to minister? In fact, my number one job, Ephesians 4.12, is not to do everything that this church is responsible to do, or I will die. I will literally die. I will die. You will come visit me in the hospital. I will be dead, okay? My job, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 12, says, God gave some to be pastors and teachers to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Hey, wait a minute, pastor. I thought we were paying you to do it all. No, 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 no. You are paying me to do what God called me to do, to exercise my spiritual gifts and what I'm called to do, and to equip people to get up and be the church. So every one of you have been called to full-time Christian service. And you know, the book of 1 Peter says, for all of us who minister, so that means every born-again Christian who knows Jesus Christ, their Lord and Savior, they have the Holy Spirit inside of them, they're on their way to heaven because they have put their faith in Christ by grace alone, they're now called to ministry, they've been given a spiritual gift, they're to use it in the body to make this thing work, 
to make a difference in Page County, to change lives, to be the church. He says, but you will not do it well. You will not do it uh, for the glory of Christ. You will not endure if you don't start over here. And the book of 1 Peter says, if you don't do it in the ministry and the strength which he supplies. The Bible tells us that if you're going to get up and you're going to go over here and you're going to start doing all your stuff, you've got to do it in the strength that he supplies. If you don't, your works will burn up wood, hay, and stubble at the judgment seat of Christ because they will be done out of the wrong motive and they'll be done in the flesh. You will burn up, you will waste up. It will not be work that's eternal. You've got to start over here and do it in the strength which he supplies. You've got to do it with a focus on him in his power and then get up and go over here and let him do his work through you as you yield to what he wants in your life. There's a book out there saying that says we need to have a merry heart in a Martha world. Our famous all-time quote in the church today is, and in the world is, I've been busy. I have said that so much over the past 14 months, I'm sick of hearing it, and you're sick of hearing me say it. If I say it again, you slap me. Pastor, you said I'm busy. <laughs> All right? I'll need that. About three or four times, I'll quit saying that. You know what? I don't want to be on my deathbed and someone say, how did Pastor live his life? I don't know. He's just always busy. He's just busy. Busy. That's not what I want. That's not what you want. But every day is characterized by, it's just busy. You know what I do want when I'm on my deathbed? You know what? He was busy, but I don't know where all his strength from. I don't know where that guy got all his energy from. The only thing I can think of is he put Jesus first, and he did what Jesus wanted him to do, and he did it in the power of the Spirit, and he loved spending time with Jesus, and then he would get up and do what Jesus wanted him to do, and as he did it, we felt like we were in the presence of Jesus because Jesus was working through him. I'd like that testimony. I'd like my kids to be able to say about that. You know, I don't want my kids to say, Dad was too busy for me. I want them to say, you know what, Dad was busy. Dad did a lot, but I'll tell you this, Dad loved to adore Jesus. And when I got around dad, I got a little taste of Jesus. But you know what? You become like the person you're with the most. And if I want my kids to see Jesus, and I want my wife to see Jesus, and I want people to see Jesus in their pastor, I want, I want people when I'm at Walmart to see Jesus, i got to spend time with Jesus so that Jesus will rub off on me and so that I'll rub off on others and people will see the King. And Jesus knew that. And Mary said, this is what I want. I hunger for this. So she sat at his feet and heard his word. But there was something else going on. It was the normal lifestyle. It was the stressed out life. It was the, if I have one more burden, I'm going to have a nervous breakdown kind of life. Verse 40, but Martha was distracted with much serving. But Martha was distracted with much serving. Here's what the Bible's saying. Martha wasn't in... On the, on the best part. Martha was missing out. Martha was doing something good. She just missed out on the best thing first. And notice the key word there. I'm reading out of the New King James. The key word there is, but Martha was distracted. I believe the KJV says encumbered. Martha was distracted with much serving. I will tell you this. 
by the time we meet again next Sunday, you're either going to be closer to Jesus, you're going to be further away from Jesus, and I'll tell you what the pivotal point will be. It will be whether or not you get distracted from him this week. Number one goal in your life is to get you distracted through so many things so that you get your eyes off the most important. I've been to Bible college, I've been to seminary, I've been a Christian for 28 years. I have heard thousands of sermons. I have studied the scriptures. And you know what I found myself doing a week and a half ago? Simply writing down on an index card, Jesus first. Sticking it in my pocket and having to pull myself out and remind myself all day long of that. Why? Because I'm constantly putting other things first. You say, Pastor Mark, that sounds pretty elementary. You know what I found in my life? I've got to get back to some basic things. <laughs> Jesus first. Man, this situation just came to my office. You know what I'm so quick to do? Do it my way. No, no, no. Jesus first. Oh, this just happened. Oh, I am so stressed out. I am so worried. Oh, I cannot get this off my mind. No, no, no. Jesus first. Ha, man, I heard so-and-so said something about me. I cannot believe they said that. Who do they think they are? This is the way I'm going to respond. Wait a second. Jesus first. You know what I found? The only way I can keep Jesus first all day long every day is by starting out with Him. That's just what I found. But so many times I'm like Martha, I am so distracted. And I want to show you what distraction leads to. Martha was distracted with much serving. God's called us to serve. We're to be Christian servants. We should show the world an example of service. Jesus said, I am among you as the one who serves. Service is a great thing, but it wasn't the first thing. Something came before the service. And she's distracted with much serving. And she approached Jesus because she's so stressed out. She's so worked up. She's got her own agenda in mind. And she looks at him and she says, Lord, which is kind of crazy because she's calling him boss, but she's not treating him like he's the boss. So let's just try to reword it this way. Hey, boss, you do not care that my sister has left me to serve alone. Therefore, tell her to help me. Let me ask you a question. Boss at work and tell him what to do or her what to do. What is it? How does that go over for you? Last time I checked, we're not supposed to tell the boss what to do. Isn't it funny? She basically says, hey boss, hey Lord, hey master, this is what's going on. Now I'm the boss, you go do this. You know what's so interesting about that? One day when I get to heaven and I see the Lord, He's going to show me how many days of my life that I was the boss. That in my arrogance and my pride, in thousands and thousands of situations, while I called him Lord with my lips, my action said, no, I'm the boss. You do this. Now we sit here quiet because we can't imagine doing that, but we do that all the time. We do that all the time. Lord, you are Lord, you are God, you're in charge, I'm not. And as soon as the words come out of our mouth, we begin our day like we're in charge. I'm the boss. 
It's my dreams. It's my agenda. It's my ambitions. It's all about me. I'm not second. I'm not third. I'm not fourth. I'm not fifth. I'm first. Do you know what? Everything I'm ashamed of in my life all resulted from me starting off a day putting me first. Every wrong choice I've made in my life came forth out of the pride that says, me first. And so Martha, she had her own goals, she had her own dreams, she had her own vision, she had her own purposes on what she thought was supposed to take place at that time. And because she thought she was right, she didn't even bother to say, Lord, what do you want me to do? Jesus, do you want me to be doing the same thing Mary's doing? Hey, Jesus, do you have something in mind here? Or should I be, should I be checking with you? Do, do we have a different schedule we're operating on? No, it was, I'm right, and this is what needs to happen, so Lord, you do this. Someone once said that when it comes to our prayer life, and we talked a lot about prayer this morning within our worship service, our prayers are some of the most self-centered things that we ever offer up. I cannot tell you how many prayers where I have, I have told God what to do. God, I want it to work out this way. God, I need you to do this right here. And I'm not saying that God doesn't want to be specific, but I haven't even asked, Lord, what do you want? What would please you most? Hey, you ever prayed a prayer like this? And, I, and, and don't get me wrong, because every one of us have done this. I've done it a thousand times, and I'm not saying that we shouldn't do it. I'm just saying, let's check our heart as we pray these things. You ever been traveling for a trip? Maybe we're getting ready to go on vacation, and Valerie and I are sitting up front, and the screaming one's sitting here, and then there's two more back here that are going to fight about 50 times on the way before we get there. We're all sitting there, and the first thing we do before we even pull out of the parking lot, okay, we need to pray. What's the first thing you pray for before you go on a trip? Safety. But you know what I thought about the other day? I'm not saying it's wrong to pray for safety. I'm not saying that God wants to pray for safety. God is our shield. He's our strong tower. He's our protector. He's our provider. But you know one thing that never crosses our, our mind and heart first? What if it's God's will that we not be safe today? What if it would bring God more glory today for us not to be safe? What do you think about that? Let's see, I've already got a plan. My plan is to arrive at the destination on time and safe and my family be just fine. But that might not be God's plan that day. In fact, it might be, Lord... Whatever pleases you most with our lives today, help us to be on board with it. Not my will, but yours be done. And Lord, if you want to grant us safety, praise your name. And Lord, if it's your will today that we not be safe, then Lord, let your will be done. And help me to line up with your will. You say, Pastor, you're a little over the top today. You get a little too descriptive. Pastor, I don't know about that. I'm just saying, check your heart. Why do you pray what you pray? What are you really after? If I'm not careful, I'm just like Martha. I've got it all planned out. And I say, God, I got my plan. I want you to come and bless it. God says, guess what? Uh, if you'll get on board with my plan, I bless that one all the time. Martha says, tell her to come help me. I want you to see what Jesus says in verse 41. And Jesus answered and said to her, Martha, Martha. Whenever he uses a name like that twice, it means he's gently but firmly getting her attention. Or anyone's attention, such as when Jesus says, verily, verily. Martha, Martha, you are worried and troubled 
you were anxious and turned upside down. You got turmoil in your soul about many things. But I'm going to make life simple for you, Martha. Right now at this present moment, there's only one thing that's needed. And Mary has chosen that good part. And it will not be taken away from her. I've seen this happen a million times. When I put Jesus first, I'm not stressed out. When I put Jesus first, I get divine appointments all day long and I see God's hand through my entire day. When I put Jesus first, I have power to obey. When I put Jesus first, it changes my attitude. When I put Jesus first and I spend time with Him, it changes the way I react to bad things. When I put Jesus first, I go to bed at night, I'm like, you know what? I think I was a part of something much bigger than me today. Jesus says, there's one thing you need to get right first. Mary got it. Do you? Someone once said, wouldn't it be a sad life to live your entire life, get to the end of it, and realize you'd miss the entire point. And you don't get a second chance. I told the men in our Bible study this week, I've been reminded, someone said, life is not a dress rehearsal. You don't get yesterday back. You don't get last year back. You don't get 10 years ago back. You just don't get it back. It's not a dress rehearsal. And wouldn't it be sad to get to the end and say, I missed the number one thing. And here's what's so neat about the number one thing. It's the best thing. It's what it's all about. The Apostle Paul said, if I'm alive on earth, it's all about Jesus. And if I die and go home to be with Him, guess what it's going to be about all there? Him. <laughs> whether I'm here, it's about Jesus. Whether I die and go to heaven, it's about Jesus. I don't want to miss the number one thing. So I want to close and give you a few things very quickly. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. I'm just going to give them to you very quickly. Here's just a few reasons on why your time with Jesus at His feet is so important. Here's the first one. When you spend time with Jesus, you become like Him. When you spend time with Jesus, you become like Him. In the book of 1 Corinthians, it says that we are transformed from one level of Christ-likeness to the next when we behold His glory. You say, how do I behold the glory of God? By opening up His Word daily and spending time with the living Word, Jesus Christ Himself. As I set my eyes on who He is, when I meditate on who He is, when I spend time with Him and engulfing His truth and communing back with Him in prayer, aligning my heart to His, I become like Him. That's the number one goal of your life. You will be frustrated until the day you die if you never understand that the goal and mission of your life is one thing, to become like Jesus. Why is your time with Jesus so important? Because the more time you spend with Him, the more like Him you will become. Here's another reason. Your time with God is so important because it's the only thing that will help you weather the storms. Don't you, wasn't that song beautiful that we sang this morning still? I will soar above the storm. 
every one of us in here every week has some sort of storm, if not multiple storms. You got more storms coming this week. Someone once said, you're either getting ready to go into a trial, you're right in the middle of a trial, or you're coming out of a trial. And I want to tell you this, the storms will eat you up unless you're standing on the rock. Why is your time with God so important? Because it's the only way you will weather the storms victoriously. Your time with God is so important because it's the means to the reward. It's the means to the reward. Someone once said, the two most important days of your life are today and the one that's coming. Speaking of the day you stand before Jesus. You've only got two days to worry about when you leave here today. The one you're in today and the one that's to come that day. You want to get ready for that day? You've got to spend time with him now so that you'll know what he wants, so that you'll do what he was required, so that you'll be ready to stand before him unashamedly. Why is my time with God so important? Because in my time with God, I get direction for living. The world is telling me to live one way. This person's telling me to do this. There are opinions everywhere. Just within the church alone, there are a thousand opinions of how church should go. How do I make sure that I get it right? There's one who knows above everyone else. Live for an audience of one. When I spend time with God, I get direction for living. When I spend time with God, I get power. I get power. I get power to obey. I get power over my old sin nature. I get power to love. I get power to do the impossible. When I spend time with God, my inner man is strengthened. When you look throughout the New Testament, one of the number one things that Paul prayed for Christians was is that they would be strengthened in their inner man. Paul says, I want the Holy Spirit to have more and more of your life to where there's less of you and more of Him. I want you to be empowered in the inner man. I want you to grow. The Apostle Paul said the outward man is decaying day by day, but the inner man is being renewed. I want you to be more alive 50 years from now in Christ than ever before. I want you to grow in Christ Though the physical is slipping away, I want you to be so mature in Christ. Senior adults, listen to me. If you've been saved for 40 or 50 years, you should be the most powerful, empowered, mature people in this church. You should just ooze Jesus because you've walked with Him for so long. Let's not waste time. When we spend time with Him, we are empowered. The inner man is strengthened. When we spend time with Him, we grow. We grow. Don't you love it when you look over some time and you say, you know what, I'm not the same that I used to be. I have been changed, and I am changing. I want to grow. Here's just the last few things. When I kneel at Jesus' feet like Mary did, I learn to hear God's voice. I think probably one of the biggest questions, and one of the reasons we've been doing the series on Sunday night, Discerning God's Will, is that so many Christians, we don't understand how to discern God's will. We've been saved for a long, long time. We've heard Bible message after Bible message, but we struggle so badly to understand God's specific will for our lives. You want to learn how to hear His voice. You know what Jesus said? Jesus said, my sheep will hear my voice. They will know it. And as I spend time in God's Word, I spend time in prayer, I want to be able to walk, I want to be able, and you say, Pastor, you're getting mystical on me. No, I'm not. I'm just talking about, I have a risen King. He's alive. He indwells me, and I want to be obedient to His ever command. I want to be able to walk in down Walmart, and I want, to be, I want to clear the static, and I want to be able to hear, you know what, Jesus wants me to go over here and talk to this person. I want to hear that, and I want to say, yes, Lord, yes, and go over and talk to that person, and 
How many people have done that and walked over and started talking to that person? They say, you know, it's funny you just brought that up to me because I was just thinking about this divine appointment. I want to learn how to hear his voice. Here's the last two things. When I spend time with Jesus, it's a deterrent to sin. The psalmist said, thy word have I hidden my heart that I might not sin against God. I've got to arm myself with God's word. I've got to arm myself with, 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 the, with the Bible. I've got to arm myself with spiritual bullets. It's a deterrent against sin. Someone once said, the word of God will keep you from sin or sin will keep you from the word. And when I spend time with Jesus and I'm consumed with Jesus, I don't have time to sin. <laughs> I don't have room for sin. I'm not saying that we'll be sinless. We know we're not going to be sinless when we become Christians, but we should sin. I want to be deterred from sin. And then lastly, another reason why our time with God is so important. When I have a right relationship with God, I will have a right relationship with other people. When I have a right relationship with God, I'll have a right relationship with other people. I had someone tell me this past week that had gotten some things right with the Lord. They said, Pastor, I don't know if you can understand this, but I've had so much clogged up in my life over the past year, I just couldn't be right with the Lord. I was just all clogged up with bitterness and unforgiveness and this sin and that sin, and I have been miserable. And they said, over the past few days, I've let God clear the pipes. <laughs> and, I've went and, and I've gotten that right with this person. And I've forgiven that person. And I got rid of this, and I quit doing that. On the things that Christ wants for my life. And pastor, you know what the number one thing I got first? Joy. I got joy back. I got it back. I don't know how to describe it. It's indescribable, but I'm a happy person again. You know what the psalmist said in Psalm 51 after David sinned with Bathsheba? He committed adultery and then had her husband murdered. The man after God's own heart did those things. When he got things right with God, one of the first things out of his mouth was, restore to me the joy of my salvation. You know the best witness that you'll ever be in on planet Earth? It's when you're walking right with God so that you're walking right with others so that the joy of your salvation just comes oozing out. I had someone tell me, and I'll close with this, someone told me recently that's been coming to our church for a few months. I was talking with them on the phone and I said, uh, I remember the first time you came to our church a few months ago. I said, now, was that particular event the reason you came? They said, oh, no, 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 no. They said, I've been driving by your church every day for the past year, and I can't explain it. But when I would drive by, it was like God was telling me, you need to go there and be with those people and see what God is up to. I was like, you want to run that by me one more time? You do know you're coming to a Baptist church. We don't believe God does stuff like that. You know that, don't you? All right? Say that to me one more time. They said, I drive by your church every day for the past year. And it was like God was telling me, I need to come there, be with those people, hear what they're hearing, do what they're doing. God is meeting with them. I said, really? They said, yes. Um, 
when we're a people who's right with the King of Kings. It's impossible. It's impossible with us in our own thinking all the things that God will do, but He will make them possible. Really, why are you at church today? <laughs> Don't know. But I'm glad I came. Someone ran across you in Walmart. You got up out of your quiet time that day. Jesus, I want to be more like you. God, give me an opportunity today. And God opens one up. Wide open door. There it is. Jump on it. Next thing you know, that person is coming to know Christ as the Lord and Savior. Really? Is that easy? Jesus says it all better when you get your orders from me. If you'll put aside all the other stuff and just listen, I've got a plan for today. I just need you to get on board. And I'll close with this. God's number one goal for my life and yours, the thing he's constantly working on every day, is to get us on board with his plan. But it's hard to be on board with his plan if we're never listening to the marching orders. How's your prayer life? Most Christians say it's non-existent. And here's the only thing I can say about that. You don't want to end your life wondering, did I miss out on so much more? Here's the invitation this morning. Carolyn's going to come. Aaron's going to come. I'm going to ask you to stand as they sing. I don't know what, as they sing, as you sing, I don't know what you put on your prayer cards this morning. I don't know what burdens are on your heart. But I tell you, the biggest burden of the hour is not what you put on those prayer cards, even though those are so important. Our biggest burden of the hour, and mine included is, is that we start today afresh and anew with being at Jesus' feet. It's clear and simple. Maybe today you need to rededicate yourself to that. Maybe quietly where you are. Maybe you want to pray with someone else. Maybe you want to come and in a while, you just want to kneel him and say, Lord Jesus, give me a merry heart in a Martha world. Would you stand together as we sing?